I mention the free trial? Free? Well, Roy, all set for the TV adventure of a lifetime. Now remember, you'll have to adjust the dish to fine-tune reception, like this. Enjoy your new system, Roy. We'll be in touch. Ah! Hey, that was a dead end! Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We are going to be looking at a high-concept comedy for this time. Uh, we are looking at Stay Tuned from 1992. It is a film that was directed by Peter Hyams, who I believe is a British director, and he had a lengthy career, did a number of films. I, I've seen a good number of them, only a couple of them that I thought like I liked, but, uh, but he has a lot that I have seen, and some of the more notable ones. Did Capricorn 1, which was like a sci-fi thing from the 70s, Hanover Street, which is a little scene Harrison Ford World War II movie. He did Outland with Sean Connery. He did 20, uh, 2010, The Year We Make Contact, which was the sequel to 2001, and it's actually better than you would expect. Uh, he did Time Cop, and he did End of Days with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I think he did some other uh, movies with Jean-Claude Van Damme throughout his career. So he did a lot of different genres, and uh, but I didn't notice, like, as I was looking at this stuff, for me personally, there was none that were like, oh, slam dunk on this one. It was all kind of like, huh, okay. <laughs> and stay tuned joins that grouping. Um, this is a movie, if you've never heard of it, is a movie that uh, ran a lot on HBO in the early 90s, which is how I know of it and possibly everyone on the panel. I'm not sure. But uh, I saw it on HBO. I think we had it taped off of HBO and I you know, had it. Um, the basic plot line is a married couple gets sucked into a TV that's like a, you know, souped up satellite dish that comes straight from hell. A, uh, a hell salesman for this super uh, satellite system shows up and offers it to this couch potato character. And then it's, you find out that it's actually a way to like for hell to claim souls and then the characters are stuck within the world of tv like a fictitious versions of shows and movies and things like that within tv and they're trying to survive so that their souls are not claimed by hell that's kind of the setup uh like i said it is played comedically some other key information it is written by tom s parker and jim genowine and their writing team, who seemed to do a decent amount of stuff in the 90s, they also wrote the uh, movie version of Richie Rich. They did the Flintstones. They did Getting Even with Dad and a few other movies. So uh, they seem to have kind of like a big peak uh, of like family comedies in the 90s. This movie had a $25 million budget and it made 12. So, uh, like many of the films we watch for this podcast, it was not financially successful. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and then uh, some other background information. Tim Burton was going to be the director for this, but he left the project or turned it down, it's kind of unclear, so that he could do Batman Returns. He made the right choice. Um, Although I do think that if Tim Burton had been behind this, it could have been uh, a stronger film for sure, and we can talk about that coming up. And then the other little kind of background thing of note, I would say, is Chuck Jones, famous animator Mm. Chuck Jones, who worked on, you know, all the Looney Tunes for decades, helped refine Bugs Bunny and created all kinds of other characters, you know, famous Looney Tunes characters and stuff. He did an extended animation sequence within this. He was, like, overseeing that, so it's like a six, seven-minute sequence. It's very much in his style, looks like classic Looney Tunes characters. Uh, it's one of the highlights of the movie, I would say, and it's, I think, one of the like last projects he worked on. I was looking him up prior to this to see, and he did some kind of like uh, cartoons that ended up getting released on the web in like the early 2000s. He did a few Warner Brothers shorts here and there for like kind of special purposes in the 90s. He did that segment at the beginning of Mrs. Doubtfire with the parrot. Um, so he would kind of like occasionally do stuff, something, but he was like getting into his 80s at that point, and he died in the early 2000s. So this is like one of his last projects, He probably one of the last five, six things he did. So it has that notable aspect. Uh, and then cast, uh, we have John Ritter plays Roy Nabel, who is our couch potato dad. We have Pam Dauber as Helen Nabel, who is, uh, you know, just like a kind of, stock standard mom she's not given a whole lot and jeffrey jones shows up as spike who is the uh hell salesman of tbs and uh let's see there's a couple kids david tom heather mccomb who i guess have gone on to like careers i I saw they've been in a bunch of other stuff um and eugene levy shows up as a like a secondary uh hellish character who has also gone on to have a career. Mm. Yes. Uh, but he had a career prior to this, man. Sure. Uh, Nitpick. Yes. Hey, if you want to dive heavy into David Tom and Heather McComb, Matt, and, and deliver <laughs> up information on their filmography, we're here for it. All right. So, uh, yeah. So that's kind of some background information. I will introduce our grouping here. We have Eric joining us, who has been on many of our episodes. He is on an episode now without Jack, so this should help. Uh, oh, his, man, his the gap's standing, getting bigger. <laughs> standing even further that we have talked about on some previous episodes. But, yeah, Eric, uh, Eric, like me, used to watch this. I think you had it taped and off of HBO or something as well, right? I did, yeah. We, uh, I, I think my family must have had HBO for like a year or two a long time ago, and then I just... Because, uh, yeah, like you say, a lot of the movies we do that it seems like only you and I have heard of. <laughs> yeah. Because you well, had, and, you had access that to Save the World was another yeah. one. And that yeah, came out like 92. Yeah. 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 And then uh, Nothing But Trouble, which we haven't yeah. done yet. But that's right around the same era. Inner Space was probably yeah. on the same VHS as Stay Tuned. I probably watched them back to back. Inner Space was like... definitely on HBO back in the day. And I've, I've talked about this, uh, I don't know if I've talked about this on this show, but I know I've brought it up possibly on like um, a friend's podcast, but like I think part of this is, and I'll be introducing our second guest in a moment, um, part of this is that my theory is that I think HBO and probably Showtime and other places, I think they would 
likely do like package deals with movie companies. I think it would be sort of like, oh, you want Back to the Future and Jurassic Park? You have to take these movies off our hands too and pay us something for them. So like that, mm -hmm. that's my guess is because you had some of these things where I'm guessing like to get Stay Tuned and Nothing But Trouble and Mom and Dad Save the World, I'm sure what it cost to be able to run that for HBO was significantly lesser than, you know, what it cost to run Jurassic Park. And they would have to like fill time and have content. So I'm guessing it's like partly needing content and partly I'm thinking it's studios. Cause I know certain studios, like I remember as a kid, HBO, there'd be certain studios where it's like, you could see movies from this studio on it. And then other studios I would notice, like you would never be able to see, like they just have a deal. Um, and I can't remember exactly which ones, but I remember there being like, a, like, well, Disney was one. You could never see like Disney stuff on there. But, mm -hmm. um, but anyway, so I think that's part of it is that we grew up watching some of these things that were sort of like that didn't do well in theaters that were just kind of shuffled off and nobody would have like gone to see them necessarily. But then, oh, it's we're kids. It's on HBO. It's in front of us. <laughs> it's during the afternoon. It's not yeah. rated R. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's... HBO, like, uh, it seems like they would be enticed by the fact that if they're they're trying to be more like a second-run theater where these movies were recent, but they yeah. didn't do well at the time, but they still would think, well, people might be interested in watching them because they just might have never had the time to go see them. Yeah. And they might still be interested in giving them a well, shot. Kind of like a red, still red like box a... thing. Yeah. Or, or, like, even VHS, you know, going to a rental place, and it's like, well, I don't need to get a tape. It's, it's here. It's yeah. on TV, so. Right. All right, and also joining us is Matt, who was most, most recently on our Bob Dylan-centric episode on I'm Not There. And Matt, uh, I may be wrong here, but I think like way back some months ago, I mentioned Stay Tuned or you brought it up. Somewhere it came mm -hmm. out like that you really wanted to do this episode, and I was like, yes. all right, I'll put you on Stay Tuned. Uh, this was a uh, very... Um... Uh, this movie was definitely in my rotation uh, in as a child. Mm -hmm. We had it on VHS. We actually paid for it. Okay. We did not Ooh. tape it off of HBO. We did not have HBO. I think we had one of those like Columbia Home, like you get a certain amount of VHS tapes. Yeah, this was one of them. Um, and uh, I was a big fan, big fan of it. Like the uh, like the little TV parody shorts and. Uh, good stuff all right yeah. well uh yeah i mean there's some like trivia and stuff we can get into as we go but i will open the floor here of what do we make now years later 30 years after the fact as grown men <laughs> and mm. not not small boys watching a, a taped copy of stay tuned what do we make of stay tuned i so this is the first time i had much like mom and dad save the world it's one that i watched several times a kid but probably not since elementary school or something right. like that so it's no I, I never had gone back to i don't know why because it's like well i've never given it a second shot even though i definitely enjoyed it a bunch as a kid um and with mom and dad save the world when i revisited it today i, I like i was slightly disappointed because i was hoping it would be something i would still enjoy close to that level um and it, there, there were aspects that i enjoyed anyway but not yeah. completely and then here I, I so i expected to just kind of think like well it's probably just going to be very mediocre and i'm just remembering through a child's eyes that that it was good and but I, I i did enjoy it pretty well i think it was pretty hit or miss comedically but there were some hits that i still were like 
laughing pretty hard. I think just when they just when they went really silly with a lot of the parodies that were just kind of like we're just going to throw some stupid joke in here. It's really quick, and, and it, some of them worked really well. I thought um, I, I felt like the movie was paced pretty well too. Mm. It wasn't. Um, I, I was never bored. You know, probably shot better than it could have been. Now you say that Tim Burton might have been the director. Yeah, it could have been more interesting that way because it had like a dark theme to it. I had completely forgotten about the satanic like nature of the why they were in the TV, um, and I you know and how all of the parodies seemed to lean the each television parody was going in the direction of oh, but it's like hell, so it's like something violent and terrible and yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I still liked it. Yeah, me too. Um, I will have to say. Um, here's my hot take stay tuned is better than mom and dad save the world i could agree with that on some levels but i don't know it's okay. tough they're I, I think they're good in different ways okay <laughs> um but uh so i like this movie uh, i like it i think it is um fun i like that it doesn't take itself too seriously the only part of it that I don't like is when John Ritter ends up in Three's Company. I thought that was a little bit hacky, but... But it's like they had to make that joke. They had to. It's, I it's, understand It's that. weird, though, that they didn't do Pam Dauber with a Mork and Mindy thing. It is. Because... Well, that's so... just the sexist nature of Hollywood. <laughs> so if you're, if you're unfamiliar with both of these actors, because it has been a while since they've been, like, you know, out there, but John Ritter was famously on Three's Company... And Pam Pam Dauber, who hasn't been in a whole lot of things prominently, but she was on Mork and Mindy way back in the 70s and early 80s with Robin Williams. And when they do the John Ritter thing, they don't have the original actresses. They have, like, stand-ins, since they probably Mm -hmm. couldn't get the actresses or something. Um, So, obviously, I would think they probably wouldn't be able to get Robin Williams in 1992, like Aladdin-era Robin Williams. (laughs) But you could just have a stand-in, like, just have somebody else, and he could be, like, devil makeup and shit, you know? Uh, It was just weird that, like, why not give her the same thing? But, uh, anyway, go on, Matt. Yeah. You know, it's a fun movie. I thought the satellite dish was cool. Mm Mm-hmm. I like the concept of, you know, being sucked into the TV. It has a little bit of the, you know, nerdy kid saves the day aspect of it, which mm. I related to as a kid, being a nerd. And I just love the the TV shorts. I love the TV, you know, some of the, you know, to Eric's point, some of those parodies are better than others. I think Dwayne's Underworld is yeah. is one of the one of the high points for me. Yeah, but... I thought they leaned in that pretty well and did it. Yeah, I thought that one how worked. It was supposed to be one. One of the things that I noticed when I was watching it, I was like, I, I don't. I think they made a concerted effort for this movie to not age well because it's yes. so completely 1992 <laughs> that like only by chance some of the things are still relevant today, like like Silence of the Lambs. You know, it's like. You know, Hannibal Lecter's been a character that's been in, in movies and TV shows in the yeah. last 30 years. But there's some of those things that, like Northern Exposure, yeah. it's like, I got the references because that's like a show my mom watched. But <laughs> it's like no one no one today would really remember that. And then like that, the comer- the Maxell tape commercial with the guy in the armchair and his head, you know, gets blown off. And it's yeah, like, that one I was, remember that one distinctly. That was my girlfriend was watching it. Yeah, that was particularly like, you had to have seen that commercial <laughs> growing up. 
Yeah, because my girlfriend had no idea, and I was like, well, that commercial came out before you were born, so that's why you don't know what that is, and they weren't, like, ever going, like, it was referenced in things at the time, but, like, not since then. So it's like, they knew in two years a lot of these references would be, like, forgotten, and in ten years, like, forget about it. <laughs> like, But, yeah, it's kind of a trip down memory lane for the nostalgia effect watching it today. Certainly, that's what I like it. <laughs> Uh, but yes, it, it has not aged well. Um, I have a friend who has not seen many movies or watched much television. I probably will not share this movie with her right away. So, All right. I, uh, I didn't love it. Um, I, I think I, Matt, you're saying like, you think it's better than mom and dad saved the world. I, I think they both have problems. We talked about that on the previous episode, like mom and dad saved the world. A lot of us came down to. It's just not funny enough, but that we really liked the production value. We thought John Lovitz was good, but that the having Jeffrey Jones as your leading man, he's just not the comedic talent that you need. You need someone who can improvise. You need someone who can really sell lines. Um, but I think the like the production value and there's just like quirkiness to it. I think the whole package is like, I think we ended up kind of all of us talking about like it was a fun movie for kids, like not mm-hmm. just when we were kids, but like, you could show this to kids and they could be like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, I, I didn't hate it on the, on rewatching. Um, I think they're like, basically the main note I had was, I think it's a better idea than an end result. I think the concept of it is really cool. And I think that's what draws you to it as a kid of like, Oh, they get sucked into the TV and like, I know that show or I understand that kind of, like, it's a detective thing. And like you get, most of the references and then some of them you don't obviously as a kid there's going to be movies you hadn't seen like i hadn't seen silence of the lambs when i was eight (laughs) or whatever um so sometimes you're just kind of like they're figuring stuff out as a kid but i i think it has a similar problem with mom and dad save the world in like for me the comedy just isn't there i think there's a handful of moments we can talk about like parts we like coming up but there's a handful full of moments where it's like oh that was that was kind of funny but a lot of it's just like quirky without being actually like I'm I'm laughing out loud at what they're constructing or doing uh, for me anyway. And so but I will say in its defense, uh, like Eric, you mentioned the um, the pacing of it. I think outside of some stuff near the end, I think that's all handled pretty well. I think the most impressive thing about this movie is they do all these TV and movie riffs um there's like a game show segment that opens it up there's a wrestling thing there's a film noir there's wayne's world which was incredibly popular at the time there's a western that's clearly pulling from like sergio leone stuff there's a star trek parody uh what are some others the animated sequence by chuck jones what are Mm -hmm. some other ones that uh near the end when everything starts going crazy driving over miss daisy that's one of the best bits i think yeah that's a legit i loved that one because it when the bit started i knew exactly what it was gonna be and it's not one of a bit that i remembered but i was like i know what movie they're referencing and i know it's just gonna be driving over miss daisy instead of driving but i don't care and it came and i was like uh, i love it it's yeah. so dumb but it's funny so so yeah there's a lot of different stuff and it. it's basically like this uh Hyams guy like i said he had done a lot of genres capricorn one was one of his early movies and that's a sci-fi thing and that's early 70s so he'd been working in film 
for like about 20 years at that point and he was still doing stuff up to i think the mid 2010s and so and you know he had done 2010 uh you know 2010 the year we made contact so he did like a kind of a high concept science fiction thing he did hanover street which was one of the reasons i listed all these hanover street he did which was like a world war ii thing um and then time cop whatever the hell that is and then end of uh, days. I can tell you what that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen it, but I know the basic idea of it. But, uh, but like, you know, end of days, you have, uh, you know, like this kind of apocalyptic action thing. So, like, what I think is most impressive about the movie is he really nails the styles. Like, when you land in a new TV channel, he sells it really well. Like, he, mm-hmm. he works within the confines of that genre. And I read that I guess he was like really psyched about doing this. Like he had come across a script and he like badgered the studio of like, I must make stay tuned. And they're like, okay, <laughs> if you want. So I, I, I think it holds together on that level. I think there's um, some really impressive stuff going on there, but I don't think at like the script level, it has the comedy it needs. And then I, looking at his list he's not a comedic director he never was like directing anything with comedy so like i i feel like to make it work you probably need a a stronger a stronger comedic script but you would also need a director that has some comedic sensibilities and burton isn't always that but he clearly has done it with Wee's big adventure and and beetlejuice and some of his other movies incorporate comedy and stuff and you know i'm thinking like if we're talking a modern director like James Gunn could have a lot of mm-hmm. fun with this setup or Edgar Wright. Now I don't yeah. know if those directors would ever want to do anything like this, but that kind of sensibility of like, Oh, I can just play within all of these genres and worlds. That's yeah. what I think you really need. But what I do think that this director gave to it is like a genuine understanding, like just a Hollywood veteran, like, Oh, I, yeah, I get film noir. I get sci-fi. I can do this. And like a mm-hmm. lot of it's like, very professionally and competently and impressively done so yeah i um, agree yeah so I, that that'd be my uh strongest point i would give to it but like i said it's it's not like a, a train wreck or anything but i will say uh lastly in comparison to mom and dad save the world i mom and dad save the world i feel like i said is, is like a movie you can show kids this one isn't like horrible for kids and we all watched it but it definitely has some parts where you're just kind of like i don't know that's kind of weird like Uh where it would i mean especially with like all the like satanic stuff and i you know i'm not to get any kind of religious thing but you might just like be showing to a kid and like then you're getting to like religious questions based off of the film stay tuned like is this what hell is (laughs) just the the... is this the devil going to come out of the tv it's the Doctor Strange Love War Room. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah, my yeah. There's and there's a lot problem, of references that no kid is gonna get. So. Right. My my problem with this movie is that I don't know who it's for. Right. That's that's kind of like yeah. And 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 there are movies like Pixar is great at operating on two levels where there are clearly things for kids and jokes for kids and silly stuff and bright colors and happy songs and then there are jokes that parents are going to understand and like complexity and like the pixar does that like constantly this doesn't have two levels it just has kind of a mashing together of this one's for you and this one's for you like i I don't know it it doesn't feel seamless 
Yeah. Because, like, you know, as, as a kid, like, as anyone... No one's going to understand this, the silencer of the lambs. Um, mm-hmm. You know, driving over Miss Daisy, a kid can understand that that's kind of funny, but you have to understand... You have to at least have heard of drive, driving Miss Daisy to get the joke. And then at the court... So you have that moment where it's like a, an old woman is run over, and so you're kind of, like, showing this to a kid... And I'm not, like, puritanical, but it's also sort of like, well, is that a joke for kids? And then yeah, you have, yeah. like, a real early thing in this in it is you have, like, this candid camera play <laughs> where it's like a cop <laughs> comes up too. to this yeah. woman and the joke is that he is – because all these are, like, hell TV channels. So the joke is that he's – going to tell her that her husband is like died tragically like some accident or something and she breaks down in tears and then it's revealed oh but it's just a candid camera show and then she's all like oh i'm on tv and so like for an adult audience there's satire there but for a kid audience like how do they receive that (laughs) yeah true but then the plot like the the through line of the plot is like you know the at the end the kid saves the day Mm mm-hmm and then it has this inspirational, like, he uplifting. Help, I, I would say the kids help save the day because the, 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 the dad does stuff as well. But yeah. The yeah, kid, yeah. The yeah. kid, John, when, yeah. The kid finding out they're in the TV, which is a big thing for him to find out, is like a major component of getting him out of there. But yeah, like, the, the parents still have to do a lot to help themselves, too. Yeah. But then, um, but at the end, with the when the kid points the satellite, the little dish at the big dish, mm-hmm. and like comes in at the voice of God yeah. while. Uh, John Ritter is about to have his head chopped off. But anyway, my point is, <laughs> why well, would you say? But that's not the end, though. So the kid, the kid right. helps yeah. them, but then there's still yeah. like twenty more minutes left. Yeah. Is there? Okay, yeah. There's still because John, yeah, John Ritter because yeah. they keep Pam Dauber in there, so John Ritter has oh, to go that's back right. in and he has save. To go he back. gets out. He yeah. has to go back in and save her. So the kid definitely then... helps, but then it's like he has to be the hero. Is but they... it's got that through line of like the kid's involvement, which it was a thing for movies of that era. And then, especially for kids' movies, mm-hmm. and then you know it has this like uplifting, positive kind of like morality play at the end about like you know don't watch TV. I don't know, but <laughs> Focus so I on just, your ma- yeah, yeah, go be a do fencing instead. <laughs> um, Make something of yourself, you asshole. Don't yeah, just watch TV. That's right. Well, I think it is satirical of like the kind of couch potato potato generation. Like it's very of that sure. time where like that's you know, that's like very Homer Simpson, which I, I I was always surprised that like the Simpsons never kind of did like a full references of this movie, although you couldn't have really like put Homer in the TV, maybe for like a Halloween episode. Yeah. Um although mm-hmm. I do remember that like they did they did take the toilet seat inside the armchair bit from this movie, which mm. I recognize when that Simpsons episode came out because that was like late '90s when that, that episode. That could have and I just was been like, a thing oh. that was like floating out right. as a joke, as well. Yeah, so. so I don't know if they were referencing it on purpose or it just it, it, it they just happened to take it from that or, or it was just a similar bit they came up with. But I remember thinking like, oh, like stay tuned, did that? I remember that. Which, again, no one else saw this movie except me, so like that's how I always felt. Oh, speaking um, of. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of, like, we talked about a little bit about things being dated and, like, this movie being a product of the time. So there's one real early line 
where uh, the kid, the son of John Ritter, is introducing his dad in voiceover, and he says, when describing my dad, several names come to mind. Bill Cosby, and then he lists a few other names. But I perked up at that moment. That's a little different now. Uh, but oh, yeah, then yes. he, he lists like various TV dads, and then yeah. the joke is like, oh, he's watched them all, and like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was uh, it was an interesting little nugget to discover. Yeah, the jokes aren't that good. Yeah. Well, what? No, all right. Some well, more lazy, that, but what, some work. It's just what are like, what yeah. are the ones that you like chuckled at or thought like was a good bit? Not again. Like I, I feel that the the style parodies of it. I think that's mm. impressive. But I think actually is like like this is funny to me, or at least like this gets a smile out of me. So driving over Miss Daisy, I think works pretty well. Yeah, it's a fun bit. Um, the, the the northern exposure bit, which was the whole scene when they were like in the little outhouse, you know, in the cold, and like yeah. that that show with the premise was a guy moving to Alaska to like be a doctor and him, him getting adjusted to the new culture of Alaska, and like, but when they when they introduced it, it was just this very funny like. Uh, coming up next on Northern Overexposure, it's a guy moves to Alaska, complains a lot, and then freezes to death. Where it's just like kind of making fun of the plot of that, and like yeah. I knew enough about that show to kind of chuckle at that, the kind of dismissal of that plot a little bit. So I laughed yeah, at that. I... And then when Eugene, Eugene Levy like breaks his finger off when it's like frozen, like that's a bit I remember even when I hadn't seen yeah. it for a long time. And it, yeah, it's still pretty funny. I agree with that one. I like that one. Um, I think we've already mentioned the the Dwayne's uh, Underworld, the Wayne's World parody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that one worked well in the context of the, you know, the framework of the movie. Yeah, I had, um, there were a couple that I noted. Uh, so Yogi Beer, I think, is uh, is a pretty good little short bit. Oh, <laughs> so just be, be just like your dad. Yeah, they present like this sort yeah. of just like borderline abusive <laughs> husband the way they present him it kind of seems to have the hallmarks of that like he's wearing like a wife beater and he has a beer and he's sitting at a table and then the kid is with him and he like says something of like you know oh give me another one or something like it's, yeah. it's all presented to be you know like a very like uh problematic family but then it's yogi beer be just like dad i was like all right that's not a bad bit and yeah. then uh i remember this one being fun as a kid I think it's probably one of the strongest little like commercial moments. Um, the Exorcist. So they do oh, an yeah. they do an ex- yeah. they do an Exorcist Catch parody. Yeah, they yeah. do an Exorcist parody of where it's like it looks like Suzanne Summers, Jane Fonda type stuff of the eighties and nineties. Those exercise shows where it's like a host and a few people, and it's called Exorcist. So they're like playing off of the Exorcist, and so. Um, like she says something like feel that bird and then just a woman behind her just bursts into flames like way to go Jane um, so like just the meshing of those two styles worked really well it was that yeah. and then she does like a head spin as part of like an exercise routine and, and I like then... how the body is just still flaming the whole scene yeah yeah she's just like and sitting there like in the corner of the fire and after her head spin she's like and now vomit and like we cut away before we see anything so that's like if they had hit some more of their satire and like bits to that level, I'd be like, "All right, stay tuned." But uh, yeah, that was one of the better ones for me. Any others? Uh, I'm trying to think. I need like a list of the. I know they had a list of the parodies somewhere. 
the fact that they're not coming to us easily, I think, yeah, uh, points exactly. to what I was saying. I, mean, well, I watched uh, the movie a week ago, so three, it's kind of Three out of my Men head. and Rosemary's Baby has been something that has stuck with me. <laughs> I mean, some of the like the titles they give to stuff are like funny premises, but I don't yeah. know how yeah. much like the actual like bit is funny. There is a list of a good number of them on Wikipedia. I am looking at one on uh, IMDb right now. Oh, there was different strokes, which is where it was. Oh, oh yes, fun. yes. That I laughed at because I just saw two old men having a stroke, and I was like, "Oh, I know what the title's going to be, and it's not going to be a pun. They're just going to put and then, like it happened." I was like, "Ah, uh. <laughs> oh man." And that's uh, just like, yeah, it's just like it's kind of this. Some of those work when they're they're lazy, but they know they are, and it's still funny. Right. And I, I was laughing at a lot of those ones. Yeah, I think those are the ones that were the funniest. I think the ones where they have to, um, where they really worked at it, kind of fell flat. <laughs> I like some of the ones at the at the end during the credits scene, but those were literally just title cards. They were just the titles. <laughs> they were just the titles. Here's a I list like of puns we didn't use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about ones we did not like? Sure. I think, yeah, I mean, that, and I think we can also lump in, like, just some of the issues uh, we had, like, structurally, because there were a few things, for me anyway, where I thought, like, well, wait, that doesn't really work. Whereas I do think, like Eric said, the pacing of it, I think, it, it does keep it moving. And it, you know, you're coming into a movie where people are getting zapped into a TV, and it's like, they're going to go through all these channels, and it would have sucked if they went through, like, four channels, like you would feel disappointed as an audience member but they go through mm-hmm. a lot and at the end they yeah. go through like it's like rapid fire and then they have all these little in-betweens with all these kind of commercials we're talking about so like i don't know at the end of the day there might be like 30 to 40 things that we see in some way on the tv so like they do keep things moving and they they utilize the concept well in, in that regard but yeah uh, I, I do think there's some like problems so yeah any kind of issues we can dive into here um, the, the last, like the, the salt and pepper dancing, like that one I thought was like, oof. And they're kind of like ending on that one in and a way. Like, yeah, it took a while. Thinking of yeah, too. and I was like, did yeah. they write their own song just for this movie? Like, uh, Here's the that, thing. That when, the, when the little thing came up with the information on the song, like they would used to do on MTV, where it's like salt and pepper, and they list like all of the like uh, production mm-hmm. information. So I'm pretty sure it said like Morgan Creek or something. And that's that's the film company. Then, uh-huh. so it's like I I think this was like a single created with the intention. Like I, I think it's probably it's like Morgan Creek Records or so. So I think this was like a fucking yeah. cross promotional, right? Which I mean, which deal. is a, a thing that happened all the time back then. Like, yeah. yeah. yeah you, they did that what with happened one of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Nothing but trouble like, had uh, yeah. Digital Underground. Show that's right. Up. They always got these poor uh, hip hop groups to do these stupid <laughs> singles for. <laughs> it's what the kids are listening except to. adam's yeah. groove adam's groove yeah. rocks it's a great song <laughs> uh all right so yeah so the salt and pepper one yeah it's like their big showstopper which uh i don't know but um, nope. it's pretty cringy <laughs> yeah what else matt what uh you, you seem like you had some ones you didn't like uh i didn't care for the um the the uh off with his head mm-hmm. f- 
French Revolution. I just thought it was boring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was well shot. Like it looked. It was beautiful. It, it looked like I mean, it, it was supposed to look. It was. It was good as a you know period piece. I'm trying to think of like ones that like weren't you know because ones that were just like single jokes that didn't work. Like I don't really care if that doesn't work because it's like all right we'll just do this and moving on. But like I remember like the Salt and Pepper one was one where it's just like it kept going and I was like all right this is not working you need to stop like um when they have yeah. him in like a woman's outfit like a woman's 90s hip-hop outfit i think he's yeah. supposed to be it look like a woman right or is he supposed to look I, maybe i don't I, think I, so. I thought with the hair it looked like more of like a vanilla ice or that's what type I thought get up where it's just like yeah. yeah i mean i can't picture it exactly in my head so i don't know but to me he was in the center so i don't think he was supposed to be like a backup dancer um, it wasn't funny, but... no matter what. No, no matter whatever what it was, the intention. It was. No, it was pretty cringy. It was pretty cringy. <laughs> yeah. So, like, some of the things. I think... Oh, go ahead, Eric. I think one that was like the Leave It to Beaver bit, where that's where the kid discovers his bike is in the TV, and that's how he kind of figures out that like the satellites like sucking things into the TV. But it was like Meet the Mansons, but they don't really go into it. And I was like, Yeah, yeah, I want something there. <laughs> like, it right, just, it just, right. it's this the title, and I was like, Oh, I want to see what you could have done with that. Yeah, like a lot, like the kind of pun things at the end or where they're messing with a the title, there was like uh, Murder She Liked. And like, mm-hmm, that's one mm-hmm. where like you could, you could play with that and do some stuff. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like once, even though he was nailing the visuals and stuff, it's just, it, and I'm not putting it all on the director because I don't think the script is there. Right. But it's, it's because I can, like, I understand why we were liking it as kids because it's a cool concept and it's like light and breezy and keeps things moving. But yeah, I, I just think like the jokes aren't, it's not that they don't land. It's like a lot of times they just aren't, they just aren't there. there. Yeah. You know, it's like not a whole lot of times they're trying to be like laugh. They'll be like a quip once a minute or something. And then yeah. usually those aren't all that funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think part of it too you know, you have John Ritter and you have Pam Dauber and I don't know. I mean, they were both on like middling sitcoms. <laughs> like, like, you know, I don't care about yeah. three's company or Mork and Mindy. And, and let's be honest here. Anyone who cared about Mork and Mindy is there for Mork. You know, it's Robin <laughs> Williams is the yeah. driving force of that show. And so I, you know, kind of like mom and dad say the world, this might be a case where if you had, you know, Madeline Kahn and John Candy, like I casted in um, in Mom and Dad Save the World. Like, if you had like really heavy hitter comedians, yeah, who can improv the hell out of stuff, maybe this becomes something special and something different. Yeah. it doesn't have to be I those people. Like... I'm just throwing out those yeah. names. But well, I, I, on that note, uh, before we lose it, uh, they did actually want John, or uh, they wanted Dan Aykroyd for this. I guess. Oh, the producers oh. wanted, and I mean, he would have been better. I think, and not mm-hmm. that Ritter did like a bad job, but you know, again, yeah. is he top level comedic talent? Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like if they had done this movie today, for I, I think for one, like it would just been loaded with cameos of funny people in each thing. Like they would have been like each each thing we do, we got to get like a funny person in this for this one scene, and we'll just do like I feel like that's how it would have done. And then yeah, they yeah. would have had they would have had comedy for the leads because the leads are kind of like fish out of water where they're not funny in themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would have like had funny people like experiencing these things and then coming up with more funny shit along the way. And 
you know, the driving force wouldn't have just been like, oh, we're going to riff on these different TV shows and movies. Yeah, there, there were, uh, the Cameos thing is a good point. Uh, I am surprised they didn't get the Three's Company women to show up because, yeah. I mean, one was Suzanne Strummers? Summers? Summers. Summers. I mean, she kind of was like big in the 90s, but there was the other blonde hair. Well, she was on Step by Step at that time, too. Like, that okay. had just come out. So well, she there was, was that's a good point. Something, but... Well, there was some other blonde haired one who replaced her. And so oh. they could have gotten her, possibly. And then the other, the brown haired one. I don't know if she went on to like a huge career. Basically, like I'm a little surprised you couldn't have gotten them. They did try to get Mike Myers and Dana Carvey to play Wayne and Garth, and they like turned it down just because they were filming Wayne's World too. Ah, um, or wait, no, okay, they were filming the original Wayne's World at the time. Yeah, so that's why uh, they were not in that. And then, yeah, I, uh, the Dan Aykroyd thing I saw, and then also I guess they were looking at for the couple so for the woman tracy allman which she's incredibly talented as a comedian mm-hmm. and she could have yes. been great and brought all kinds of stuff possibly but then for the the male lead they wanted richard dreyfus which like Ooh. nothing against richard dreyfus okay. but he's not exactly a comedic <laughs> uh, powerhouse like the one Richard Dreyfus comedy I can think of is What About Bob? What About Bob? And that's yeah. Bill Murray being funny and driving Richard Dreyfus crazy, and it works because Richard Dreyfus is 1,000% straight in it and just hating everything, you know? I mean, like, he's not yeah. really being comedic so much. Yeah. So yeah, who, do they want, who do they want Aykroyd for? The Jeffrey well, no, I, I think, I, I mean, I think anytime they do a movie, they'll, like, they'll look at, They'll come up with a list. I mean, I remember like Uh, Back to the Future had a list of like 30 people for Doc Brown that they considered. Um, So like I think Dan Aykroyd was a consideration and they they probably couldn't get him. And then but yeah, I guess the studio was looking at it said the producers wanted Aykroyd. This says the studio had Richard Dreyfuss and Tracy Ullman. Um, Oh, I guess it said they were set to star, but it was dropped because it would have cost an additional five hundred thousand dollars. So it's like. I don't know, guys. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it would have been worth it, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, at least Tracy Ullman, but um... I think yeah, it would have been better to try to cast someone funny in the in the wife role because you, you could keep the 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 husband character straight because the whole idea is his like like their marriage is falling apart because he watches too much TV. He's not really motivated, and you have the wife yeah. character who's like fed up with him. But like, if the woman is like funny in the way she's fed up with him, like Tracy Ullman would just be like hitting him with like. But she gets more so zingers and make it do, more though. funny. Exactly, yeah. Like, so you... like in the beginning of the movie, she's the crux of the kind of the conflict. I mean, it's his problem, but like she's right there. And then they give her some stuff where like she helps, she helps them get out of the game show, and she mm-hmm. beats up the people in wrestling. And I'm sitting here thirty years later, like, oh, did they actually give the mom some stuff to do? <laughs> and then in the back half of the movie, she's just like strapped to some dynamite waiting for a train to blow her up like she doesn't have a whole lot to do in the back half and they kind of make john redder like i gotta go save my wife and i was like yeah the strongest and i think like because the idea was like it would be one thing if if you were if the plot was like okay this guy watches too much tv and now they're stuck in tv maybe his knowledge of tv will help them which you could have twisted that by right but you could have twisted that by making it how how you're saying, Harley, it seems like the wife is the one doing all the legwork to get them out. And he's, 
you could have played it like he would think he's helping because he knows TV, but just makes it worse. And she uses logic and reasoning to help. And that's sure. like, that could have been a funny way to go about it. But yeah, you're right. They don't, they don't really like pick a lane in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. There were a few other um, bits that I thought didn't work super well. Uh, I think the ending is really flat. Uh, Matt, you alluded to it earlier with TV, rot your brains, kids do fencing. <laughs> Because the whole kind of like setup has been that John Ritter like kind of hates his job and so he's escaping into TV and it's causing problems with his wife. So that's the central concept. It's really like it's his issue, but it's really it's affecting his relationship with her. But then the end of the movie is and now he's a fencing coach, so he must love it. And then the wife isn't even present. So it's like, and I guess they're happy. Like, like it's just like, yeah, it's the it's movie sets ending. up so much at the beginning that like, it's a conflict that he is wrecking their marriage. Kind of like it's, it's borderline yeah. that. And then the movie at the end is just sort of like, eh, you know, that all resolved itself. I'm sure. Um, so that wasn't great. Um, I thought spikes punishment sucks. So Jeffrey Jones is Spike, who is like the TV salesman guy of hell. And he has been battling with John Ritter throughout all this stuff. And he's trying to you know, steal his and the wife's souls. And at the end, John Ritter like zaps him into another TV channel. And then Eugene Levy, who had been zapped himself by Spike, gets some comeuppance. And all that happens, though, is he like, he knocks Spike down from a chandelier because they're back in the like uh, French Revolution t- TV channel. He knocks him down, and there's like this vicious dog. And I was like, "That's it? <laughs> like that's like this guy's like <laughs> fucking Mephistopheles or whatever? And, like that's all that happens to him?" And I will also say the movie implies the presence of Satan. That Satan is like the big boss who we never yeah. see, which is very disappointing that Satan doesn't show up to fuck with people or he doesn't like like cross paths with john ritter at some point but why isn't jeffrey jones like coming in before satan and being punished why is his punishment just like oh no a dog bites him a couple times and then he kicks (laughs) it in the ribs and he's okay like like it was such a letdown when you've set the stakes for this movie of like we are in hellish tv world and we can do literally anything and this is the punishment for our villain right like the best, the best thing to do would have just been like his punishment is he gets stuck in like the worst TV show imaginable or something yeah. like that. And yeah, yeah, that would have work. another joke where he's yeah, it's just somewhere like he, he wouldn't want to be, and it's just like you're there forever, and that's his punishment. And then like you're right, like they could have had a scene with the devil. You could have done anything. He could have been mad at them. He could have not known their whole shtick from the beginning. He could have been impressed. But Eric, he, two and a half men wouldn't come out for several years. <laughs> You can cut that. <laughs> but, but you're right. Like, you could have a whole other, like, cameo of a guy playing Satan and just having a funny scene where he's like, what the hell you guys been doing here? Like, or, or, or anything. Like, you're right. Like, they could have, they could have done a lot with that. It was just, he was just alluded to. And, and, because I think when you, when we talked about it the other day, and I was saying how I'd forgotten, like, the whole satanic element of it. And you were like, oh, I thought Jeffrey Jones just was Satan. He wasn't. I was like, no, he was like a, He's like a, a lower minion. level. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're right. It would have made more sense if he just was 
Satan because then they never actually show Satan. Yeah, I mean, there's this there's this side plot in it where Jeffrey Jones, because he's going to lose these two souls, it's happened once before supposedly. Because he's going to lose these two souls, there's this like this up and coming demon who clearly wants his job, and so there's a sort of like corporate satire thing. Yeah, and so the the idea is that he it makes sense because. If it's just the devil, then and he's gonna lose these souls, then there's nobody coming after him. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. fuck all you people. You know, it's like he's the, he's the guy in charge. So it does make sense if Jeffrey Jones would have someone breathing down his neck, but they don't do anything with that. There's no yeah. there's no end result to that. That like they make him like a lower level demon, but then there's no payoff to it. Um, another weird thing is like we talk about the pacing a bit. So like there's this countdown clock. That we see a bunch of times of like they have 24 hours to get out. They have to survive 24 hours and they're able to escape. And if they're killed within one of these TV channels, then that's it. Their souls are claimed. Um, so some of the timing gets super weird at the end where we have like a scene where Carrot, where Eugene Levy is literally telling them. Or like we see a clock that says two and a half hours. And Eugene Levy like seconds later is like, you've got two hours left. And I'm like, okay, they're rounding things off. But then literally seconds later, there's a clock shown again and they have an hour left. And it's like, I know we can't watch a full 24 hours here, but like movies do this better. There's a, you know, you do a a montage of stuff. Um, And then a few minutes later, it's down to 10 minutes, like a few minutes real time. And they're all within the same world during this. So that gets dodgy. Mm -hmm. And the other bit that is super weird that I wouldn't have caught as a kid but Jeffrey Jones is so focused on the Nables. Like, they can't escape. That's only happened once before. You know, th- this is impossible. We, they're going to be killed before 24 hours hits. But at the beginning of the movie, there's, like, this guy and his wife who get uh, brought in, who I think are, like, in the same town as the Nables, because they seem to know yeah, each other. I think they're neighbors. neighbors. Okay, they're they're neighbors. neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they get brought in at some point prior to the Nables, and it's Seidenbaum. And we see the wife get killed early on, but he's been alive. And we're pretty mm-hmm. far into the Nables being alive at the, this film noir part. And the devil, the devil guy is like, Spike is very concerned of like, they can't make it any farther. But Seidenbaum has been in there presumably for hours before them, at least like mm-hmm. half hour to an hour, because Spike yeah. had to like go from one house to the next. So it's like yeah. there's no commentary on being worried about that guy. Like he's not yeah. anything. So that's just the thing where it's like, come on, writer, you could do better than this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think also going on that bit, like I I liked that. So yeah, those are the two that get trapped in at the beginning of the like opening sequence. Yeah. And then yeah, you see them. They're in the Godzilla movie, and the wife gets crushed, and the the, the guys run away. And you think that's right. the end for them because that they're just shown as an example of what happens when you're caught in the TV. And then halfway through the movie, this guy shows up again in the noir scene, and he's like, yeah, my wife got killed a while back, but I'm enjoying it, and I got this remote, so I can, every time things get rough, I can just switch channels, and then, and he seems to be enjoying that life, and doesn't seem to care that his wife is dead, which is like, it's funny, I mean, like, I wish they would have, like, maybe done more with that, but he gets killed in that scene eventually, Um, so that's, like, how he meets his end, but, yeah, you're right, like, they don't, they don't discuss how he probably could have left at that point, or at least would have been taken out because he survived the full day or maybe 
he What's, didn't want to or something. I don't know. Like, yeah, they they could have they could have done a lot more with that. Well, they for really for have. me, it's just the fact that the the demon people aren't focused on him at all. Like, because he's yeah. he's who they should be going after. That guy might not even know he has twenty four hours because the only reason they know it and we know it is because Eugene Levy runs into him, and Eugene That's Levy true. has been like kicked out of the control room and he's pissed. So he's like, "You got to survive for twenty four hours and you'll be okay." Anyone yeah. else who gets zapped into this TV, theoretically, they think they're just there forever now, which is what that yeah. – it would make sense. That's kind of how that guy yeah. acts. Um, but that is what happens, like, when – because when Ritter lasts the 24 hours, they, they zap him out, and it's just, like, automatic. Like, it's a time – like, it's not, like, a choice he has. Yeah. So you would think, like, yeah, maybe that – I mean, maybe that guy had a couple hours left and he didn't realize, and then he died. Like, if they had expressed that, yeah. then maybe it would have been, like, more significant if he ends up, like – saving john ritter and sacrificing himself when he yeah. just was about to get out yeah i right. just thought um, it was kind of ridiculous you know just bad writing that the control room doesn't even mention him because if he's mm-hmm. been there an hour before them he's who you got to take out first he's the real concern right. but that's true um so on the control room here was mm-hmm. a weird little nugget that i uh, that popped out to me so as eric said i completely forgot basically about the hell portion of this i forgot that there was like a you know a bureaucracy of hell that we see um but so the the kind of setup that brings them into this is you know it's like these demons are giving out these satellite tvs and then like taking people's souls and everything so but they're in this control room they're running people through these hellish stories with set roles. And this is all for the benefit of an evil audience below them, which they, he literally says, like, you know, the, the big man, you know, down below. Does that sound familiar to anyone? They're in a control room running people through hellish stories and roles for the benefit of an evil audience directly below them. Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, that's Cabin in the Woods. That's, yeah. Oh. Like, it was so odd when, like, because there's a, the the dialogue scene, just the way he presented it was like, oh, that's like, mm. I don't know that they would have been pulling from Stay Tuned, but. No, but yeah, yeah, yeah I didn't I didn't think of the similarities, but it is like, yeah. Because in, um, in Cabin in the Woods, they explicitly talk about the gods that mm-hmm. live, you know, the kind of elder gods, demons and stuff that live under the earth that they call them like the audience and that this is all for mm-hmm. their benefit. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was just odd <laughs> to come across that, uh, that reference, or uh, sort of reference to a much better film. Yes. Uh, I have not seen cabin in the woods. Oh, it's very oh, good. You should see it. Yeah. It is an excellent and fun horror foo film. Yeah. All right. I will check it out. Uh, another bit I thought was a little weird was when they get to the cartoon world, why didn't they just stay there? Like they know they have to be, they have to survive for 24 hours. Ain't no cartoon mice going to die in a cartoon. <laughs> like, doesn't he say that at some point? Like, he, Oh, we're cartoons. We can't die. He like, does say he that. Say but that? then, but yeah. like to make, if they wanted to make that work, they should have, there should have been like some super adorable cartoon mouse that comes <laughs> out and gets like, killed in acid or something (laughs) just like a skeleton like all the yeah yes (laughs) that would have been Um, funny so many missed opportunities although although, yeah you're right like because 
the cartoon sequence was probably like the best done thing. Right. And I, before I learned that that was actually like Chuck Jones behind it, I remember thinking like that, that's one of the things that stuck out in my mind from a, as a kid. It was just like, yeah, I remember there, there was a point where they were a cartoon mice and stuff happens. But when I watched the whole scene from beginning to end, it was like, Oh, this actually is just like a Looney Tunes short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got like a beginning, middle and end. It's not just like a quick bit they're doing. Like there's a lot yeah, going they, on in that whole scene. Yeah. They put a lot no, of that effort. was really well done. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just struck me as like, I know that they're in hell versions of all these things, so theoretically they could die in a cartoon, but the way that cartoon is presented, it's like, oh, it's a cat and mouse cartoon where the cat, it's a robot cat chasing these mice, and I don't know that I've ever watched a Looney Tune cartoon or Tom and Jerry cartoon or anything where the mouse is horrifically killed and they like yeah. have all this stuff flying and like guns shooting and stuff and they uh, yeah. they evade like at no point do they get like cut or shot and start bleeding so there's never a moment where it's like oh no this is different mm-hmm. yeah so it just seemed to me like you could just survive in this world for like you know a day it, <laughs> it would be your best shot because like although you're thinking like oh well we're just little mice we need to get to a place where we're like you know a little more powerful or back to our regular forms but they do have like the power of cartoons because he right. like draws something and like, yeah yeah he's like we, we we can do stuff in this he signs too, away so, like, he writes something to like acme company to get yeah uh, like robot dog to chase the robot cat but since he's a cartoon he could reach into his pocket and pull out anything <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's like yeah. i feel like you you would have more resources as a cartoon character even though i guess whatever they'd throw at you might be worse than the the mechanical cat like if you defeat that so i don't know i mean but yeah you're right like they could have like brought that to the attention and have a reason why they wouldn't just stay there um or just maybe they accidentally hit the remote and go somewhere else uh yeah the only other uh, we mentioned chuck jones uh and eric you talked about like kind of the the missed opportunities with cameos the only other cameo that uh, i noticed really well salt and peppa are are in it yeah so there's that mm-hmm. Um, but the only other cameo is uh, Don Pardo is the voice of the announcer on the game show. And Don Pardo was the famous uh, announcer for Saturday Night Live for like 50 years. Well, not this oh, show isn't yeah. quite that old. 40 years. He did it for, I think, pretty much the whole run of the show. I don't know if he was there at yeah. the very beginning, but he did it for decades, even well into his 80s. And I think he was into his 90s. And then he died and uh daryl hammond took over a few years back um but yeah so don pardo played the uh, game show announcer, not the host but there was like a tell them what they won johnny yeah 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 all right um yeah only uh, any any other notes for stay tuned when i was a kid i had a remote control that my parents gave me (laughs) wow uh (laughs) i had part of a slinky but i straightened it yeah okay but no i would play like you know Anyway, <laughs> no. I would pretend I was in state two. Oh. All right. I remember when, when the movie. You don't started, need to feel like... ashamed, Matt. I was willing to let you get roll with this story. Well, no, you you shot me down. So <laughs> I was quoting Ghostbusters too. I know what you were doing. <laughs> Early on in the movie, my girlfriend was like, "Is this like click?" And I was like, "I've not seen click, but it's better than click." Like I was like getting defensive over the movie right away, but. Um, There's a one good chance the... it's not better than Click. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, I don't know. Um, so when we were all in college in a comedy group together, mm. 
uh, my senior year, I wrote an, an entire show that was sketches that were interconnected. And you guys had graduated, but in that sketch, I devised the plot that the two characters were stuck in the television going through different television parodies. And that was the, the concept I came up with. And at the time, I was like, this is a ripoff of Stay Tuned. But I don't think anyone's going to know because I don't know if anyone's seen that movie. And no one said a thing. <laughs> but you guys would have if you had been there, which is funny. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> you would have been like, oh, this is like Stay Tuned. I'd be like, oh, you see that movie too? <laughs> we could have bonded over Stay Tuned years ago. <laughs> we probably would have got together and watched it and then been slightly disappointed then instead of now. Probably. Probably. <laughs> um. Yeah, the only other thing I saw was that I guess it, last August... Um, it was reported that AMC Studios is developing a television series adaptation of the film with Why? Uh, Ian B. Goldberg and Richard Nang as writers. Hmm. Um, Goldberg had done, it's not the guy from that made the Goldbergs. I initially figured it was that, but it's a different Goldberg. But he has written some different shows and movies, but the most notable thing I saw was that he wrote the film Autopsy of Jane Doe. Oh. So, uh, but yes, but uh, to Matt's point there of why, I don't know either. Um, studios are trying to mine every property they can to turn it into like potential franchises. And a lot of that gets a lot of flack from people. I myself have thought that a lot of the more modern like reboots and stuff, I think they are, I think they're doing on the whole a very good job with them. I think if you grew up watching fantasy, sci-fi, horror entertainment, like as a kid in the 80s and 90s, and you think about those sequels when studios didn't give a shit, and they're just like, I don't know, make it for half and have nobody come back. And <laughs> yeah. then you had like truly abysmal sequels. I mean, like think about like any of the slasher movie sequels. Like you would have like an original movie that was actually like pretty good. And then all the ones that followed it were just worse and worse with each move. But I feel a lot of studios now are actually taking this stuff seriously and they're trying to bring back key talent or they're trying to attract new key talent to, you know, like, oh, you love this property? Well, we own it, so roll with it. Now, stay tuned is not Star Wars or Ghostbusters or even, like, Labyrinth. So I don't know <laughs> if you really have mileage out of this. And, Eric, you and I were talking earlier of, like, it, a person I was surprised that they never had taken another crack at it in, in the last 30 years. Well, like, I, yeah. know, I, I feel like and today I feel like there's so much more content to riff on that like if you just had a bunch of writers in a room making up as many parodies as they could and just take like the best of that to make another movie, I think you'd have a pretty fucking funny movie at that point. Well, but. I don't even know. I don't know why you need it to be branded as stay tuned. Like you could do this idea and it could have it be nothing to do with the devil. It could be some other yeah, way. Yeah, that's and you true. can call it something else. Cause I don't think anyone could sue you over characters get trapped in a TV. Like that's not, right. yeah, that's right. not enough yeah. to claim plagiarism. I, I, I agree with you, Eric. Like, yeah, they could go through so many things. The, the fact that they want to do it as a television series makes a lot of sense though, because yeah. then you can, do tons and tons of parodies and you could like have seasons focused on different people. So like there's possibility to make it work, but the fact that they're trying to do it and like as a, like a remake reboot, it's the same kind of thing when I saw that they're trying to do a Scrooged remake with Kevin Hart. And it's like, oh. why? 
because it's it's based on a Christmas Carol, which is fucking public domain. Just make a funny Christmas Carol movie. You don't yeah. need to. And it's not one Scrooge. that everyone Just yeah do really remembers as a as a you know. It's not like they're remaking Groundhog Day. Yeah, it's like I've personally never seen Scrooge, but I don't oh, understand it as like it's oh, okay. good. I, okay, I, I like, like it. So maybe it is one that people remember as one of the Bill Murray classics, but for me, it's just like one I've always known about, but never. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, I, I'd say it's a it's a great holiday watch, um, and you could you know Kevin Hart could potentially make something fun out of it, but I just I just didn't understand like the 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 remake angle because it's like just have Kevin Hart be a an Ebenezer Scrooge character in whatever setting you want because you you yeah. don't have to pay anybody. It's just it's public domain. That's, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get, yeah, because I guess what I'm thinking is like, yeah, I guess the name the name recognition of Scrooge isn't like something that's pulling weight now, and that's that's usually the angle when they make it a, a remake, a reboot. It's like, yeah. oh, you remember this? Well, we're doing it again, and it's like, you're right. With Stay Tuned, it's like very few people remember it, so it wouldn't have the recognition that you'd say, oh, we have a built-in audience already. All right, anything else on Stay Tuned? Nothing from me. That's Time all. Time to I change got. this channel. <laughs> all right. Would you recommend Stay Tuned? Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. If I liked the person. Hey, you came in hot saying you like this movie. I no, I like I liked it for myself. I depends if I if I really knew the person, and I knew what their tastes were. And those tastes were mediocre television parodies. Then yes, <laughs> then I would recommend it. Um, I might to someone who's the same around the same age that just never caught it, and yes. I think, oh, this is a fun one from that era that you might still like. I still got some enjoyment out of it, but it's not like this. Like, oh, you have to see this movie because there's no like, yeah. Because in my mind, it's like, yeah. It, it, it kind of becomes like a weird cultural touch point because so many references are very of that time that there is like a nostalgia factor when you watch it again. Um, right. But yeah, anyone who was born in the late nineties or even mid nineties is like going to be like, I don't get a lot of this. So, so I usually recommend stuff I have on the show. Um, Cause a lot of times I have stuff on that I I've seen and I like, and then sometimes I have stuff on that I it's like notoriously bad and it's worth watching in kind of a jaw wide open springtime for Hitler type way. I don't this definitely is not that. This is not the room. This is not a, a, you know a travesty, but I also don't think it's like a slam dunk amazing movie. So this would be a very hard one for me to recommend. I, I would say I would recommend it to people who I wanted on my podcast to talk about it. <laughs> Beyond that audience. Uh, are those recommendations or are those commands that we're supposed yeah, to watch yeah, these yeah. movies? Like, was, uh... <laughs> you mean we can come on this podcast without having seen the movie? Is that but beyond that, like, because I'm trying to think of like a scenario where I would say like, go watch Stay Tuned because it's like, I doubt there's going to be like huge John Ritter and Pam Dauber fans where I'm like, whoa, you, you were missing out. You got to <laughs> see this. And then same with Jeffrey Jones. There's no like star power of like, oh, check out this lesser known movie by this, this actor that you like. 
it's not by a like a particularly famous director. He did a lot of movies, but you know he's not like a you know heavy hitter as far as that goes. It's a cool concept, and some of the stuff works, but when it comes to a recommendation, like I could easily see someone being like, "Why did you make me watch that? <laughs> like what? What was like kind of like I felt like the way your girlfriend reacted there, Eric." Yeah. Um, where, like I, I, she was just kind of bewildered through much of it. I think. Yeah, because I was like, "Oh, you would, that that commercial's literally from 1992, you yeah. have, or like from earlier. Like it's just everything is so of its time that it's like, yeah, I did she yeah, enjoy it like, at all? Like because like, we're all watching it, having seen it I, as kids. I think we were watching it pretty late, so I think she fell asleep about an hour in. Yeah, not because it was like boring. I mean, she was she laughed at a few of the sillier bits that I did, but it wasn't like something she was like, "Oh, this is really enjoyable." So yeah, yeah I don't I don't think she was like super into it. Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. It's it would be hard to recommend this to someone because I just don't know. I don't know, as Matt said, I, I don't know who the the audience this is for and then we've talked about how it's like very much a product of its time and so like stuff is dated it's not dated and like there's nothing in it that's like super offensive i don't think but it's dated just in like stuff that is like older just doesn't play as well and then like a lot of dated references and things um i would say i'd recommend it kind of only as a curiosity and you know or if like you want to work on a script about people getting sucked into a TV and like, all right, I need to see this so I can kind of yeah. make it different. Um, Cause yeah, it's like, it's a, it's a cool idea and it's a cool jumping off point for a story, but I don't feel that they really like nailed it or anything. So, um, and it, but again, it's not bad. It's just kind of there. So yeah. Uh, that's cool. Even if like the, the TV series comes out and it's really popular and successful, I can't even imagine being like, Oh, well you got to see the original movie because right. it's, it's probably like not going to be a whole lot similar in sensibilities. Maybe, maybe it will. I don't know. But yeah, even then it's just like, I... although I will say in their defense, cause I, uh, I know I was kind of railing on it earlier of like, why do this? Um, cause who has the connection to this? That does run a little counter to something I've said before, which is, studios want to keep remaking all these successful things like i i'm mm-hmm. i'm all for like sequels and legacy sequels where they're like exploring within the world because i think you can like you push stuff and take it somewhere what i personally don't like i don't like just straight remakes where it's oh you liked that thing we're gonna do it the exact yeah. same but just worse New actors just yeah, yeah right. none of the same people or talent we'll do the same basic story we'll change a few things and then you will have to compare it to the original um, yeah, that I, I am not a fan of at all. But I have said before, and I've seen other people talk about it too. Of like, what they should be remaking is cool ideas that didn't work. They right. should be taking stuff that was like, oh, that was a cool concept, and then they did something with it. Uh, it doesn't happen often where they do. The one I can think of recently was Disney did make that Pete's Dragon movie, and from my memory, the original Pete's Dragon is like a pretty schmaltzy you know 70s kind of like mm-hmm. family movie that you would suffer through but the new one like actually like it, it it takes it like more seriously it's it's more emotional it has kind of an et vibe to it um uh, yeah. and it's uh it was actually you know a pretty good movie and like and they did different stuff with it so yeah so stay tuned the the people working on the stay tuned uh series maybe that's the idea maybe it's we had this yeah. cool concept 
and it wasn't executed well, we can do it better. Sure. And if that's yeah. the case, you know, Godspeed. We'll see. Um, all right. So it brings us to. I just hope they get Jeffrey Jones back. <laughs> uh, Deadwood did. He literally is I the see... devil now, so. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, this can uh, join our other episode of uh, Mom and Dad Save the World for your, uh, your, your two for Jeffrey Jones watching. Yeah. Uh, your 19, early 1990s. I think they came out in the same year, actually. Uh, or maybe uh, a year, right. Maybe a year apart. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, All right. Can I find this? So, Mom and Dad, or uh, sorry, Stay Tuned <laughs> is available lots and lots of places. It appears to be on Amazon Prime with a subscription, something called Fubo TV. Uh, and then it is free on Crackle, Tubi, Pluto TV, and YouTube. They are just handing this right. over. Um, but if you are a huge fan of Stay Tuned, you can also buy it on DVD for $40. Ooh. Or you can buy it on Blu-ray for $22. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's out. This is on Amazon. So I'm, I'm sure you can find you know some deals or used copies or whatever. But uh, So it's out there. It is on Blu-ray. Um, so uh, you can track down Stay Tuned if you're interested. And that wraps us up for this one. We will be back next time switching gears once again. We're going to look at the director's cut version of Nightbreed, the Clive Barker film Nightbreed, a horror film, and that's what we'll be digging into. All right, see you then.